0: Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland.
1: Dan Auer, San Francisco.
0: It's October 22nd, 2014. This is On the Grid, episode 87. This week on the show, we talked about Andy possibly becoming a homeowner and naming. Here we go. Dan, when is that soda going to expire? This soda? (laughs) A
2: <laughs> delicious soda. Did you just open the second can only so you could have the sound effect of the show, or did yes. you finish that first can in like seven minutes?
1: No, 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 no. I, I open it just for the opener. Both are unhealthy. Don't worry. Both are clearly bad yes. choices.
2: Yeah. So now, now you, Dan, a grown ass man, uh-huh. uh, find yourself with two open cans of surge on your desk. Yes, yes. How just... did your life go wrong to bring you to this
1: moment? <laughs> so, okay. Obviously, you guys were not aware that Coca-Cola officially announced that they were going to bring Surge back. Obviously.
0: No, my memory of Surge was being like a tiny child and being like, Mom, please, can I have a Surge? She said, no, that stuff
1: will kill you. That's
2: what my mom said, too.
1: (laughs) Shout out to our moms. Thanks for protecting us from Surge, moms. (laughs) My mother said the same thing, but I would just go find it at the grocery store when I would go hang out with friends. Anyways. The thing
0: that's oh, scary is I can see so your rebellious. webcam and that's the old logo. Like I remember there I think mm. there was like a resurgence of Surge. At some oh, point. Oh. And oh
1: yes. Yes, it was a very rigid geometric type.
0: And I remember a different logo, but that's the old logo. That's like a that's like a Nickelodeon splat logo. Yeah. Did you buy
1: that yeah. can on eBay, Dan? If you did, you no, can tell no, us. It's You're in the place. The only place that they're selling it right now is on Amazon. <laughs> the only place they're selling it is the place everyone shops and is easy to buy things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because basically they're testing whether or not it's popular enough to bring back to where it's on like store shelves.
0: I so expect you to say testing whether or not it's safe enough to use on humans.
1: (laughs) That too. They just didn't say it. (laughs) Anyways, yes, the expiration date I just checked is June 29th, 2015. That's not even close to expired.
0: To be honest, I was kind of hoping he'd say like June 29th, 2050.
2: Whenever we mention a date on this show, I, I like to think that these recordings are going to be saved in the archives of history and at some point somebody, I mean, obviously it's not going to be an important thing saved in the archives of history, but at some point some researcher will be trying to, you know, talk about the startups that got acquired or something and, and they'll, they'll dig up episodes of the show and then they'll hear us mention a date and they'll be like, wow, it was so long ago. You know, like, like when your parents will casually mention a date in like an old home movie or something. These are things I think about. Time is a flat circle. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that is. I never watched that show. I could be totally using it wrong. I just saw people talking about it on Twitter. I think it was uh, the one with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson. That was a Netflix special
0: thing, maybe? Oh, um, True Detective. Are you trying to say True Detective? Detective. Maybe.
2: I don't know. Am I?
0: My problem is I, I pick up shows. I don't finish them. And I've watched two episodes of the show. Very good. I'm sure I would enjoy it, but I haven't finished it. My girlfriend finished it. She loves it. Oh, okay. She seems nice. She is very nice. She also, she follows through. I'm less with the follow through. Wow. On some things. Personally, you're,
2: you're a man that finishes things. I, I would call you a man that finishes things. That's yeah. true. Every episode comes out. But, yeah, you follow through <laughs> in the show
0: more than
1: Dan or I were ever able to. If you you know what it when is? we were it is? It's like
0: consuming content that takes more than 15 minutes. I just, I yeah. forget. I don't.
1: No, I, I know that feel, dude. It's,
0: it becomes very hard for me to watch TV shows or to, for whatever reason, podcasts seem to work. That's fine by me.
2: But it's probably because you're doing something else, too. You're not like that's exactly what it is. You're never just sitting on your porch swing, listening to a podcast and whittling on a spoon.
0: If anything, like editing the podcast is difficult for me because I want to be listening to a different podcast. Yes. Thank
2: you. Yes. Thank you. This oh is why I was so, so bad like at editing it. I ah. have
0: to turn off the thing I'm listening to so I can listen to the thing that I have ah, to do. I yeah. know. That was, was so hard about editing it for me, too. I couldn't listen
2: to music. Because I'm so used to working on a
0: visual thing so that focused. I can just stay, uh, my ears can be occupied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a, I'm sure it's a crutch. I can just, I always want my ears to be occupied by something and that is what I do.
2: So do, you, do do you think your attention pan attention pan attention span <laughs> it is it's short. so short we lost the s it's that yeah, you know short. what you got the gist of things that's all that matters <laughs> do you think your attention pan is so short because of the nature of media in 2014 because you were raised in the age of the internet and YouTube videos and 30 second commercials with 47 smash cuts to different scenes or do you think that you just naturally Don't have that much of an attention span. How much of how much a child of the world are you and how much how much nature versus nurture here? It's
0: really hard to say because I think it was always this way. Like I can always remember even like wanting to fall asleep watching something that was always a crutch. Mm -hmm. So I know that too. Yeah. I I can't separate myself from it. I don't really know. I wasn't born early enough to even
2: know. I do remember when I was a kid being able to be entertained forever like six, seven hours on a weekend with just a box of Legos. I don't think I could do it anymore. Although I can be entertained by Minecraft for six or seven hours straight, so maybe that's kinda yeah, the same thing. Actually I can yeah. do that too. Creative endeavors I can absolutely entertain
0: myself. That's it's the only thing um, though, right? Like
1: you can't yes. Exactly. yes that's the I'm only thing. Right
0: there with you. I
2: can't do anything where I'm not making something I do some here's form. what I
0: do all the time is I go down I sit down to watch the thing I told myself I was gonna watch years ago and I'm like, I finally have the time. Here it comes. And I, I have I turn arrived. It on, My life is I, full of relaxation. And then I find a reason to wander. I wander mm-hmm. and
2: I end up working on something. Yeah, That's just how it goes. Paying attention is hard. The, the girlfriend and I sat down to watch The Next Generation from the, our first episode, which she has not seen. I have seen Holy most of God. it. Holy God. Okay. And uh, so we, we agreed to start watching it like two and a half months ago. We're like, we're going to start watching The Next Generation, see how far we get, see how long it takes us. And we're just on like episode nine, and it's been two and a half months, and that's like all we've been able to pay attention for as much. This as... This is I why I don't know if you're still show.
0: in this phase, but I there was a point in my relationship where I decided to allow my girlfriend to lap me on television shows. Yep, she just took the ball and ran with it, and I uh, said
2: we're long past good, that point. Good for you. She does I, whole TV shows it. that I never even participated in. She watched our all breaking those point. House of have cards. you ever seen
0: AMC's The Killing? Have you ever seen mm, that show? No, nope.
2: sounds terrible. I made her wait about.
0: Like, four months to watch the next episode, and...
2: It's amazing you didn't get just dumped. Well, here's
0: what here's what happened. She secretly watched it. I watched the next episode with her. She had to pretend like she hadn't seen it before. Wait, so she I didn't knew. tell
2: you? She, like, withheld it?
0: Oh, yeah. she. I think she tried to secret finish the series, and she did. That's a and warning I sign right there. And I didn't know. That's a flag. And then I found out, and I said, you know what? This is on me. I made you wait four months. Yep. Wait, is it... I feel like this was my bad behavior actually i don't think this is on her if you made well, someone no, wait I mean, that long I, to finish support their show her.
1: i suppose she would be
0: like you. she'd ask me like every day hey do you want to watch it i'm like ah not today it's not the right time now we yeah. should do it a different it, time it
2: sounds like you were uh maybe kind of a dick but yeah, I, so I, I i support her doing her own thing and standing up to you i think she yeah. should have said though and screw you i'm watching it and get over it uh i don't think she should have done it secretly since then that has happened yeah, I'm, well, saying I'm this, glad you've this arrived at that place in your relationship. I, I want a one good series. open relationship for you. Andy,
0: I've been in this relationship longer than you've been in your relationship. I'm giving Ooh, you I think, advice. I here. think you've
2: been in that relationship
0: Ooh. longer than I've been alive, so <laughs> That's not true. Dan has been married. I am I am the yeah, middle. I'm of a the dinosaur. Spectrum. What
1: is this bullshit?
0: Let's talk let's the spectrum uh, is I'm in the middle, Dan is on one end,
1: you are on the other end. I'm the
0: baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, show done. I did a thing
2: last weekend which was which was weird, which is uh I went to see a house with a real estate agent and like a real to see, like
0: you're gonna buy it yourself or for your company yeah, or what? yeah,
2: like I might buy it myself. So I mean here's here's the deal. I, I like to research things, as I think we've touched on in the show in the past. A bit of an over research. I was gonna I, say you enjoy have a it. problem. We understand. I enjoy the process of doing it. I enjoy sponging up knowledge of all kinds, so I kind of get stuck in research holes. So I've been like doing all the research to buy a house for probably like a year. I would say pretty seriously, like looking at all of the saved searches and all of the neighborhoods I might want to buy a house to get a sense for property prices and how long something's on the market and what good or bad houses are, what the best kind of yards you can get are, just so I can kind of understand what the ecosystem is like. Um, And I haven't been super serious about it because my official position has been that I cannot get afford to buy a house from my perspective. Um, So this amazing house came up that uh, it's just this incredible, really interesting, unique place in Baltimore. I really wanted to see it. And the only way to see it was to like get a real estate agent and do it. Um, So I did it through Redfin, which is this app uh, that has like also a real estate uh, Mm -hmm. agent network. Uh, and, and they don't get paid a commission. They're paid a salary. So I wasn't like wasting this woman's time by going to see a house that I couldn't afford, really. Um I went and looked at it, and it was really interesting and cool, and I won't gush about it too much. But I came back and did more research on like the financial side of it. And even though I am of the opinion that I cannot afford this house, the internet seems to be firmly of the opinion that I totally can afford this house. And now I feel very conflicted.
0: What does that even mean? uh, The internet seems to think you can afford this house. So if
2: you Google things like, you know, how much income do I need for a mortgage monthly payment of X? Or you Google something Uh like, you know, how much down payment do I need to afford Y? All of those blog articles and websites with calculators on them all of them say like, "Yeah, you could afford this house. Like it's it's on the check, higher end." Check when those formulas were written, by the way. They were I, have, a problem. I have double and triple <laughs> checked, and mortgage really? rates are super low right now. I mean, I, I've done a ton of research, and it's just I, I think I'm naturally very conservative, and I think most people would be like, "Oh yeah, totally. Let's buy that house. Why not?" Uh, and to me, it seems like a huge, enormous, scary uh, thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so now I'm like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm thinking about buying a house, is, is wow. what I'm saying. And uh, is, uh, dude,
0: that's you don't crazy. have to give me exact prices, but would you guess that the mortgage is going to be more or less than Dan and I pay in rent?
2: Oh, it'd be way less than you guys pay in rent for sure. Okay, one hundred percent. The mortgage will be less than I pay in rent here in Baltimore. It, oh. It'll be yeah. Is it that you want to move? What's the? So I, I like my apartments. Here's the thing: I don't like renting because I like doing things with my hands. I like building, I like architecture, I want control of my space, I want to be able to modify things, I want to be able to, you know, do whatever I want, and I don't want to, I also want to be able to, like, acquire nice furniture that I know (coughs) goes in the space in which it will go, and not have to move, and all of a sudden this cool chair I bought doesn't fit, now i got to sell it. Um, The nomadic lifestyle of a a renter is not not nice. Um, So yeah, I mean, the mortgage is definitely lower than my rent would be, because you have to take into account that you have... The mortgage, you'll have homeowner's insurance, you'll have property taxes. And even all of those things is still lower than my current rent is at my apartment. And then the only other thing on top of that is like maintenance, which is kind of a big question mark when you own a house, of course, like you can yes. predict some things pretty much, but you know, someday the water heater might explode. And then all of a sudden, you have this big kind of maintenance bill you didn't expect. And that's where the kind of could be more expensive than rent kind of thing comes into play. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't
0: it Merlin, man, who talks about homeowner unit of about ten thousand dollars like anything you need to have something done yeah it's, exactly it's a unit of ten thousand yeah. dollars and everything's grand <laughs> with the house is what he says yeah,
1: yeah. No, no i mean it's also like there's a bunch of stuff that most people don't think about when they go to buy a house like there's all the fees and everything at closing there's all the inspections oh, you have that. to do um, I thought about that yeah so uh, there's all of that and sometimes they can come back and say like oh everything's Fine, except for this one corner of the foundation, which is going to cost you three units of whatever. You know. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I've I've thought about all this stuff for sure. Oh, uh, but have you have you looked in? Is there any incentives that they have in Baltimore or in Maryland in general for first time home buyers?
2: There are a few little things uh, okay. that would help ease the ease some of the costs. Um, some of them are weird. Like I think if you go to a class that they have once every twelve months in the city for first time home buyers. And then of that class, you're one of the first 45 people to close on a house after the class, then you get a discount. So it's like a weird race between all the people that went to the class to like close afterwards. And it's a Um, yoga class. It's
0: really weird. And it's a yoga (laughs) class. It's very strange.
2: It doesn't make sense. So so yeah, I mean, it's just uh, basically what it comes down to is it seems like if I'm going to be in Baltimore for five years and I'm going to continue renting an apartment that is roughly the same cost that I'm renting now, Every incentive is there to instead buy a house, and this house is one I could buy. And it's the house is uh, like four times the size of my apartment. It's enormous, Uh, and it's you know will be the same cost. So I I guess that's I guess I'm thinking about that, and it feels weird to even have the words come pouring out of my mouth because I don't I've never really seriously considered that I was ready. But it seems like according to financial projections, I guess I am. I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable.
0: I think you should buy the house we should all fly out and we yeah. should have an obnoxious kind of college comedy movie house party
2: i yep. mean we could do that because part of the reason i really like this house is that it needs a lot of work uh and i really want to do work on a house like i'm not gonna, I, my nightmare is buying a house that someone just renovated with like a cut rate uh contracting company and like they kind of made the house look nice but they didn't spend all the money in the right places and it's got granite countertops but they're mounted you know a little bit crooked um that is like my nightmare. Uh like the, like the like the ready to move in suburb house is like the thing I want the least. Um mm. this is a really charming like 100-year-old house that uh needs a little bit of love, but that means I can give it the right kind of love and make it perfect. So good.
1: I think he just talked himself into buying the house. This is
2: I, if I, I'm i giving you like the tip of the iceberg of the conversation going on in, my, on in my head, which is like a big logical conversation for why I should. And then my emotional aspect, which is like, but you're like a, ch- a child. You you can't own a, <laughs> a house. You're a, you're a baby child.
1: What do you I mean? feel that way
2: about everything? Exactly. Right. Like, I think you always do. Yeah. Do you like that's what I do
0: wonder? Like, did everybody always feel this way? Is this just like the Seth Rogen generation, though?
2: I don't know. The Seth Rogen generation because he's like a big man child. I don't get it is you've seen a judd apatow
0: movie right the theme being that all men are just children like i think that's a thing
2: is that a judd apatow thing or is that a a man thing is that maybe just how men are i don't know it Mm. seems
0: like it's echoed pretty loudly in our generation is Mm. that just every generation some generations went to war
2: and then that was different
0: i feel like that was different
2: you know maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's the thing we we were talking about about tauntines today at lunch. You guys know what tontines are? No, no. I know what tauntauns are, but that's Star Wars <laughs> and probably, uh, probably no, is so it a, slightly
0: different, a little bit different.
2: A, a, a tauntine is like a like a like a death pact kind of thing. Where it, my understanding is, it usually happened during war, and basically, like whenever we went into the war, you made friends at boot camp or whatever, and you decided at the onset, like, all right, you know, of us six friends, let's all put in you know, like a big chunk of the money we got when we enlisted in the army. And uh, whoever survives the war splits it up evenly. That way, you know, at least if I die, I know you're going to be doing all right because you'll get my money. Uh, And it won't. These are like, you know, kids that didn't have families back home or something, you know, to to send their money to. Um, So it was a weird kind of like death pack thing. And then I think some of the death packs turned into weird situations where people would like kill each other because they wanted the money. So, (laughs) but uh, I was thinking about that and how different that world must have been if you were like seriously considering a tontine. And we're, like, sitting here make, making web websites, I guess. That's yeah. definitely oh. not a tauntaun. Same, same age same <laughs> age of people, really. Like, these were, you know, kids, essentially. Younger than us in most cases yeah. that were, like, talking about, hey, a lot of us are probably going to die. If, if you die, can I, can I have some of that money? Yeah, okay, cool. That sounds like a good plan. Let's make that plan.
0: Well, if we're going to make a death pact, if you get the house, can I have it? Should <laughs> you die? It, yeah,
2: sure. If, if I die in closing. If there's, if there's some there's, sort of, like, yeah. the wire-style... No, no good say it That's fine. Uh-huh. I can take it, yeah, make fun of Baltimore. That's fine. um, one of the most exciting things about the house is it has a enormous basement that is not finished, but it is not like a crawl space. It's got like seven foot ceilings, so I could have a whole workshop, which would be awesome. I would love that
1: just just so a you note. Know. This is a tall boy of Surge. They don't even come in the regular size. Oh, I couldn't. Kids.
2: I couldn't tell. I, I thought maybe the screen, the video was just stretched.
1: Maybe uh, you have a tiny head. Nope. Hold on. There <laughs> we yeah, go. There go. There we go. iPhone five next to the Surge.
0: Oh my God, oh. it's huge next to an iPhone six. No, that's a five. Uh, iPhone six plus. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big. <sighs> that's like an oil drum of Surge. iPhone five is no longer How are a good you holding point of reference it? for
2: size. We're gonna need a quarter for scale. Yeah. We've uh, we've been circling this
0: topic for a while. It's uh, this is my safety blanket. This makes me makes me never nervous about
2: doing this show. Oh, well, you're gonna be nervous now after this. After yeah. we kind of uh, robbed you of your safety blanket. <laughs> yes. Don't yep. worry. If we can always just talk about flat design, if we have to, you know, people if people want it. Hey, you can uh, always kill yourself or our favorite prototyping that. tools. We can talk about that. So well, let's talk a little bit about naming. Let's put it in a specific context. I mean, naming is something that I like to think I'm pretty decent at. I I put it as one of my skills on things when people ask me what my skills are for something I have to fill out an application for. Um, And I think it's, to me, the reason I I like naming and like spending time doing it is it's like a very condensed and uh, very dense form of design. It's like you have to design something that is going to communicate in like an instant. It's like the most compact kind of design you can possibly get. You're crafting this word. Uh, or this series of words maybe that has to kind of totally sum up in some ways uh, something you're working on, or if not, you know, sum it up completely, tell a different part of the story. Um, and I, I think that it's normal for designers to think a lot about naming. Uh, I know Ben Parrot is somebody that talks a lot about naming, and he has a three-step process. He outlined on his blog for naming, which I think is quite good. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and this has come up recently because we... Uh, we're going to rename Tall Chess, which you may be shocked. Tall Chess, not the best name. Um, <laughs> this is our, it's our chess app. For those of you who aren't familiar, that we made here at Friends of the Web. The main difference is that we stretched the board out to fill the entire iPhone screen, which is, of course, taller than it is wide, thus making the chess pieces kind of tall. There we named it Tall Chess. Um, and we need to call with a better name for it. We, we've rebuilt the app completely. There's a whole new version that's ready to be released whenever we get the chance to finish it. And uh we were very disappointed, I think, with the original release of Tall Chess, and and a big reason was I mean, for it wasn't that successful, first of all. That's always disappointing. Um, and even in groups where it was successful, it was kind of perceived as a kind of chintzy toy. It was like a, a novelty. It wasn't a serious contender for a chess app, um, which is of course not what we intended. You know, we we really thought that this was a like simple way we could make uh, chess a little more friendly on the phone. And the reason we built it is because there was really no good uh, chess app that had a simple game center integration. Uh, They were all very complicated and all the UIs were terrible. Um, So we thought there was a market there and I think we didn't hit it largely because the perception of the app was that it was a joke in some way. Um, And this is, directly told to us on Twitter by some people who just didn't take it seriously and kind of also just measured kind of anecdotally by my perception of how people were, were speaking about the app. So I want to rename it. Uh, and the, the, the part of the challenge with this particular app is it's it's chess, right? Like chess is the most, it's a ubiquitous thing. Everyone kind of knows what chess is. It's got tons of associations with it. And uh, if you're going to be like a big chess app in the app store, I think you've got to have chess in the name, which has been a huge challenge. Um, so... I, generally, I mean, do do you guys ever get to do any naming in in your jobs? I don't really have a sense of that. Yeah, yes, Yes, I do. Because we do it a ton, and I feel like it's something that I spend an inordinate amount of time doing, and the amount of hours for the the size of the output is the most drastic in naming for me of any creative endeavor that I undertake, Mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, I got a word, and yeah, it took (laughs) me like 17 hours to come up with the word I like, so get over it. That's all I got.
0: (laughs) And I would suspect any person who makes things has to deal with naming whether they want to or not, because Mm -hmm. it's hard to make a thing and not give it a name. I I don't think everyone can afford to go the route of going to a place like Lexicon, um, you know, like one of those naming firms that seems like... It seems like there are a few prominent ones, but I'm not sure how many there are. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, just, you know, one thing the Pentagram does is, like, there are times where we will work on naming projects. Like, that's oftentimes part of a bigger... You know the beginning of like creating an identity, and it might start with the naming. And sometimes we work with our team, sometimes we work with experts, sometimes we just do it. Uh, You know, so I've I've dealt with it in that endeavor. But I think even honestly, I think more challenging is naming your own thing. It's much easier when you're detached from it, and you can allow yourself to uh, come up with ideas that you'd block out of of your consciousness immediately because Mm -hmm. you have too many associations with them, and you won't even let them float.
2: And to, to pick back off your point there, Matt, where you said everybody that creates something has to do some naming, I think you're totally right. And I, I see this very concretely with my developer colleagues who oftentimes will ask me like, oh, what should I name this variable? Here's what it is, I need <laughs> a good name for it that I will later on be able to recognize even after I've stopped looking at this part of the code. Or what's, what should I name this class that sort of will make it very clearly understandable. Um, so I, I think that is true. I think those are like very, very similar things, honestly, at the end of the day. Like, people might think it's very different to like, name a variable clearly in a piece of code you're writing and to name a company or name an app, but you know a lot of the considerations are very, very similar. Uh, the difference of naming a, a variable or a class is that you really are just going for pure functionality. It's purely utilitarian, um, where I like to think that the name of something um, you know, as, as a product is often an opportunity to kind of inject it with some personality, even if the idea itself maybe is kind of dry
0: did either you guys listen to that episode of startup the the new alex bloomberg podcast you know from from this american life
2: yeah i it's um it's interesting i i like the show but it's it's definitely not a perspective on what it's like for anybody to start a business and I, oh, I, he, he hasn't explicitly so. said that Like yeah. he hasn't said like oh this is a story of how everyone creates a business but it seems like that's kind of the the undertone but He's got such insane connections because of his, you know, history of this American life, and because of all the people he's talked to as a journalist. That almost all the episodes are like, I couldn't do naming; it was so hard. And then I just made the people at Lexicon do it because I have a podcast with, uh, you know, tens of thousands of listeners, and it's kind of free advertising for them. Uh, man, starting a business is hard, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> which I thought I was always have always- to say, like he is, he is surprisingly
0: self-conscious for somebody who is so connected in the podcast game. Like his business is starting a podcast, and. There's nobody better suited to do so.
2: I I can't. I feel like he's hamming it up some of these times. With do you the think how so? Hard it is to start a business thing. I don't know. Like it certainly makes the show better to have him kind of like hamming it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I I can empathize so much with everything he's talking about because it is super hard and emotional. A lot of the conversations he's recorded on the show are conversations I've had in my life. I don't know. It's it, to me, it's like how to start a business in America if you're like the most privileged person. If you're like a white male with a good bit of cash and more connections than anybody imaginable, um, that's kind of what it ends up being. Yeah. Anyway, it had a pretty good naming episode, I thought. <laughs> and by pretty good, I mean like is the only episode of anything really that I've heard about naming. Ninety percent
0: uh, did one that was good too. But the thing that's no, nice yeah. about Startup is that he goes through, I think the logical process that any person is going to go through. And also like I'm, it's not that far removed from what a naming firm will do. I think, like, what, whatever you think the logical steps are to naming something, that's probably also what a naming firm is doing just to uh, probably just a greater degree, I would uh, I would imagine, or even having worked on, like, projects where, like, you go through the official process, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not, that, I mean, they're different for different firms, but...
2: Yeah, if there's one thing I really appreciated about the episode is that he kind of was forthcoming with sharing all of his ideas that were clearly bad. And there's nothing I think more embarrassing than having come up with a bad name because it like it, it seems to underline a total misunderstanding of what it is you're working on, right? Like yeah. if someone can come up with a great name, I they have this like magical creative power to me where yeah. they can like see the world from a different perspective and sum something up in a way and find a word where I was convinced there was no word or there was no string of letters that was short, that was recognizable that could accomplish this goal. Um And I have a tremendous amount of respect for it. And on the flip side, having a dumb name for something is like the fastest way to look like a total amateur, right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it is. But actually,
0: I have to say, like, there's no endeavor where I feel like people are laughing at your ideas more than a naming endeavor. Really? Because there are just so many. I think it's just something about words are more relatable than even graphic design. Oh, for sure. Than, I don't know, almost any profession that I can think of. Everybody has an attachment to words, has an opinion about it. But we all have enough unique connections to whatever words we're talking about that something that is totally right on the money to you could be completely ridiculous to somebody else. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. And how do you find objectively good in that, too? Like, how do you say our relationships to these words and ideas are all so unique and complex? How do we find something that is the correct name, that will work on a a massive scale? And I think at the end of the episode of Startup, he came to a very kind of cogent conclusion which was that it doesn't matter like as long as your name is not like hyper embarrassing or you know a racial slur in another language uh, yeah. as long as you you know work hard and you know, build a good reputation for it anything will probably do at the end of the day right?
1: No, okay I, th- I do have a funny story related to specifically that uh, when we were doing naming for Sidewalk back uh, when I was at Tagged uh, we, we went with a design firm uh, to be able to help us with the whole naming process and it, it took a month uh, from end to end and part of the process was us just coming up with a lot of names and uh, words phrases anything to just like start conversations on maybe this is a good area to go in maybe this isn't um, and we we're we kind of chopped up into two different sections uh, things that were just recognizable words that already existed and then another one where like we were inventing new names or, or spellings or whatever just for the sake of something that's unique and the director had this idea because the app was around things for current location. And he was like, oh, what if, like, how there's YOLO, it's current location, so we could call it Kulo. And somebody quickly yeah, looked it up, and apparently it's yeah. buttocks in Spanish or something close to that. So, yeah, there's a lot of that that comes up. It's like how, which ones do we figure out that we think are interesting or actually just something that's awful in another language? Also, it's
0: pretty awful in this language. Coolo? Coolio? Oh.
1: Uh, yeah. Well. Anyway, that
0: my point about anything, it, very easy to laugh at somebody else's name, I think that continues to be true.
2: Um, so um, this might be an interesting way to do this. I mean, I, we, uh, I have all of the uh, conversations I had with my coworkers when we started Friends of the Web. Um, do you want me to run some of the other names that we discussed for Friends oh, of the Web by to, yeah. you? I are love of to. Hear, um, what do we, were we want talking to break about?
0: them down or do we want to just tell you what's good and bad?
2: Well, I mean,
1: I I just want to listen. I
2: think they're all bad. I'm curious to know if if something stands out to you. Um, And I'll kind of go roughly in order uh, because I have these things all in order. Um, So, so one of our first ideas was to uh, kind of be faceless, uh, like a mystery group um, that would kind of come in and secretly solve your problem and that you could then take credit for it, like all consulting is. So, we had things in here like uncredited design, nameless industries. a blank space followed by company, which actually was before, I think, MySpace rebranded to have that sort of <laughs> blank line. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about that. We decided that was bad. I got really excited about the idea of calling it after school something because uh, when we first started working together, we were in high school and we would go after school to my friend's basement and build websites. And now we were all graduating from college and this was our professional business. So we had like after school to studio, after school collective, after school design. Those are all bad and childish um, one that we liked for a long time was called Playwork, calling it like Playwork Studios or something, uh, and that I think is bad. <laughs> we also, um, we're all very good friends and have been for a long time, so have some names here like BFF Industries or BFF Incorporated, <coughs> BFF-INC, uh, that was bad. <laughs> um, let's see here, scrolling down this list a little further, you can edit this blank part out. Um, then we got excited about something uh I don't even know what the idea was here, but we wanted to call it our design co like O-U-R, not our Dan Hour, uh, Our Design Co. Uh, like just kind of emphasizing the fact that it was a small thing and we kind of owned it, uh, and that it was like personal. <sighs> that was bad. Um, let's see here. There's also a lot of arguing in this email thread that it's not uh spreading more names. I should say too, I'm not sure if we ever talked about this, but um the first company that we ever started, we started when we were 16. And, uh, and that company was called Bonsai Studios, uh, which is really a bad name. And we s- still we got emails every day about people that wanted to know about Bonsai Trees, uh, which we did not sell. Um, <laughs> there's ideas here for League of Friends, Friendistries, uh, <laughs> trying, to, trying to play with the fact oh that we were friends. So we see, we're getting closer. Like We yeah. are now Friends of the Web, so like Friendistries and Friends of the Web are in a similar kind of vein there, right? Um, I talked a lot about how I liked the term architect and kind of counting us to architecture, but uh, never come up with a good name there. The closest thing I had was the new architects, which obviously a lot of hubris in that name. Can't really pull that off. Um, so that's some of our names. There's some other even worse ones here and some that are not safe for work. Um, we So our design co and play work were kind of the last couple ones that we were, we were close with. And I have here the email um, where I introduced friends of the web to them. And so I say My new favorite name that we've come up with is Friends of the Web. I said why I like it. It's simple, memorable, friendly, and personable, in that it addresses our personal relationship, our intended friendship with our clients, and our dedication to making great websites. I said it's vaguely reminiscent of superheroes, which I'm not sure if that still comes through, but that was one of the original ideas. Um, I also said that it lent itself to marketing language. like You could have language like make friends with us or call in the friends or I am a friend of the web. Um, And I said that it is also timeless because we will never stop being friends of the web. This is me reading emails from four years ago on the podcast. How did I arrive at this place? Uh, So (laughs) um, that is the sort of kind of uh, tribulations we went through to name this company. And it's, I think, one of my favorite names I've come up with. Uh, Some of the ideas that I talked about, you know, in 2010 are still there, I think. And it's still the reasons that I like it. Um, People refer to us as the friends uh, when they're just talking about us. Like, oh, we'll call the friends. They, They actually say that, which I really like. Um, so that's kind of like the process we go through on everything which just a bunch of emails or a bunch of uh, ideas and then they all sound terrible in hindsight until you find the one you actually used and who knows if we had skipped over this one and come up with a different name and used that one this would probably sound terrible too that's what I suspect I think, wouldn't have that association I, with it right
0: I, th- I suspect that exactly I, don't, I think if you had named your company our designs or whatever I think you would you'd think it's great right now because you've built up all this association unless your company was a failure and then you might say well probably bad this whole time i tend to agree with the the summation of that startup episode that like mostly the the meaning that you attach to it um i mean especially to the point of like could you even have got away with calling it our design and really isn't it just something that you can own at the end of the day and make Mm -hmm. a meaningful attachment to yeah like that's the that's the thing that i find funny when people get so upset about the naming of paper the naming of what was it bolt or something Mm -hmm. was that the instagram thing where like you pick a simple word, and all you're doing is like
2: saying we are a powerhouse. We can plow our way through. It's a bully thing to do, really. It's emphasizing your market position to say, "Oh, we'll, we'll pick a word, whatever. We don't care. We'll plow over everybody that tries to use it." Other words, it and is fu- wise. I, it's it's just funny to think that
0: that. Well, all, but even even somebody who used it previously to think that that won't happen is mm. some hubris. Like it mm-hmm. is a bully mentality to plow through you know, a name like paper, but also like you name your thing paper, you got to know somebody else is going to come out of the woodwork and, and try to use it at some point because you just picked a word, a word that means another thing. What about yeah. like, I'm sure there is a paper company called paper that's going to get mad at you.
2: And and ultimately, I, I think you're right. Like the strict utility of a name is is limited in that like, one of the biggest companies in the whole world is called Google, and that is a nonsense word, right? Like, it clearly clearly didn't hold them back at all. Uh, You know, Bing is a search engine. These things are actual things that we respect and don't think about how silly they're named anymore. So I think ultimately, the utility is kind of limited. And that sense, that even makes to me a good name even more impressive, because in this world where, like, there is no real metric for success, right? Like, there's no... Like this is objectively good or bad necessarily. Right. Um, there's still a sense when I see a particular name and I'm like, oh shit! Like that is a great name. Like I, I feel that uh, in like a, a deep part of my being. It's like a little flourish on top of on, to, on top of the company that really makes it kind of kind of stick. Um, wait, what's I've a noticed, great
0: what's a great name? Do you have an example of a
2: great I, name? That, wait, I mean, I have a whole list of things
0: that I've collected I wanna, that have
2: good names. Uh, you,
0: I love that you collect things. I I feel like I should are doing this more. I've started doing it for happy endings now, just because out of necessity, but like I don't make these lists like you do,
2: Andy. I, gotta I got a lot these. of text files, a lot of text files.
0: Actually, part of the death pact is if you die, please
2: give me your list, and I'm going to look smarter. <laughs> actually, real talk, I, I do have uh, an envelope in my fire safe, uh, which is locked up in a, an undisclosed location that just has uh, my login credentials for my 1Password account so that if I do die, everyone can get into all my stuff and actually you know, have access to it and shut it down or not shut it down. I don't want everything to be locked off after I go, because, I mean, it's all two-factor secured or whatever. So that, that exists. So if I do die, uh, I have that envelope, people. <laughs> Find it. My, my, my loved ones will know where it is. Um, so I, ha- I have my list here. First of all, I will say that I think uh, there are certain things that usually have good names and certain things that usually have bad names, which I think is an interesting notion. Um, one of the things that almost always has good names are fonts. Like, I think fonts pretty much always have great names. Uh, and it's because... The name of the font is so like unimportant, right? Like if it's a well-designed font that like gets the gets the message across, everyone accepts in the font world that the name just has to embody the tone or the character or kind of like give it this little like touch of of flavor. There's no like utility in the name, right? Like no one. Puts... Actually, I
0: even appreciate fonts that the only reason they were selected was a handful of letters that look really good in that font.
2: I was going to mention that.
0: I love that use of a font name. But didn't you do that with Railway? Yeah, it's exactly what I did with Railway. All, those are all, all the letters I wanted to show, and I yeah. shuffled them in any number of ways until it made up a word that's not actually the right spelling of a real word. Mm-hmm. And I got and that, to show off the things the I wanted thing. to show off.
2: And that, that's the other thing, because I think having that extra weird consideration that so many people are going to see the font in the font's own name Gives you like a starting point. It's like the little like seed crystal you need to like find something interesting. And because there's not really strong utilitarian things pushing to oh, it's got to have chess in the name because people are going to search for chess. And oh, if we if it's spelled this way, then we won't be able to give it to people over the phone and they won't be able to you know, remember how the spelling is. It doesn't have any of that stuff really. So it's just you get to take that little seed and really let something beautiful grow out of it. Um, so I I think we can learn from that. To me, when I see that, I see like the fact that there is this arbitrary consideration, which is what letters look good in this font. You know, what capital do you want to be in the front of it? Um, I mean, that's, I've helped uh, Day, who's in our office, name some of his fonts and go through that process with him. And uh, you know, the first consideration is like, what are your favorite capitals? Because that one's going to be like the first letter. It's going to be kind of the most the most impactful. Um, that So I, I love that, like built-in process. All right, so my document of things that have good names. That's not a long list, but I think it's, I'll read some of the better ones for you. Um, so the General Assembly in New York is one of my favorite names of anything ever. It's a mm-hmm. really? like office space and co-working space and educational center for like the technology community in New York. And the reason I love it so much is because I heard about it and I was actually attending an event there before I'd ever really like known what the General Assembly was and the event was like, "Oh, it's held at the General Assembly." And the name had such an air of permanence to it. It felt like an institution. It felt like something that had been there for a long time that I assumed it was, like, the name of a famous building or something. So I was walking around on the street in, like, midtown Manhattan trying to find this address where I was supposed to go, and I, like, asked a police officer, like, I'm looking for the General Assembly. Where is that? And she was like, I don't know what the hell it is. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Because I just assumed it was, like, this monumental thing. It sounded historic. Um, And, of course, it was, like, you know, started two years ago or three years ago or whatever. It hasn't been around for long at all. It's, like, a totally new technology thing. But I thought it was so great that in the technology industry, which is so often so fleeting and temporal, that this thing had this air of like permanence to it, uh, and it's like totally boring and bland, right? You could totally argue in a in a meeting in a think tank that like it says nothing specific about technology or New York or any of these things, but it totally works. It's great. Girlfriend was the design studio of uh, of Eli Rousseau and one other gentleman. I can't remember his name. He's a developer. Sorry, guy. I forgot your name. Um, but I thought that was a great name for their design studio because they were two guys, and uh, it kind of emphasized the fact that they were spending a lot of time working on this passion project of theirs and giving it a lot of their effort as if it was a girlfriend. Uh, and also it's got this kind of like wrongness to it, right? Where like you hired a girlfriend. Like it's it sounds weird to say, which I think makes it sticky. Um, I love the name of the podcast, A Life Well Wasted. Which is the podcast about video game culture by Robert oh, Ashley, and
0: that is a fantastic podcast. If that you should listen to
2: fantastic. it. Fantastic. It's like seven episodes. That's it, but it is such a good show. Um, he's also a musician. He composes a lot of uh, scores for the episodes, so the music is excellent. It's really well produced. And what a name, right? I wish our podcast had a name as good as a life well wasted, because um, it's, all, it's all about video game culture. And I think it's 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 Im- the show is embracing video game culture, and not in like a weird shitty gamer gateway, uh, but like embracing the actual community and interesting stuff happening in gaming uh, in a way that it's not kind of rejecting that narrative. It's not It's not saying we're not wasting our life. We're just saying that we're happy to be doing it, right? <laughs> um, so I really love that. Um, this one's actually changed uh, over the past couple years. Varsity Bookmarking used to be the name of just Ben Peratt's personal blog, and he has since changed it into a interview blog where he asks people questions and their only response can be a hyperlink. Um, and I just thought the name Varsity Bookmarking was great. Uh, again, because of the com- the com- combination here of like, you know, Varsity alludes to like college sports and kind of jock culture. And then bookmarking is this nerdy kind of collecting thing that you do. Uh, we talked a little bit about Olo when it was my happy ending, but I love that that name was kind of contrived as an abstraction of the game itself. And you look that up to know more. I'm talking about because I don't want to explain it all over the air. This is not interesting radio. Uh, and the- so here's some-, here's some other ones. Um, there's a There's a... <laughs> There's an all-natural wood finish uh, that you can use to, like, finish a building you build, like put on the outside of a, on a house that you make out of wood or a cabin or something, and it's called Land Ark, uh, which I love so much because it's, like, alluding to the biblical history of the Ark and the fact that it was going to survive this great flood, uh, but it's saying that it's going to be something that's not going to float, it's not a boat, it's a Land Ark, so it's referring to your building as a Land Ark. Um, I also have Matchbox cars on here, right? Like, Matchbox is a great name for those things because it's... It refers to the size of the thing. Uh, it refers to the fact that you're kind of playing with it and it's like supposed to feel a little like dangerous and rebellious, like playing with matches. Um, and yet it has nothing to do with cars at all, right? Like Matchbox and cars are totally unrelated ideas until you connect them with your product. Um, so that's just, I don't want to read all of them, but that's some of the names I have on here that are some of my favorites. Uh, best of the best good names. Here's, you know, it's funny that
0: I never struck me until this moment as to like one of the things that makes names so relatable, like, did you guys spend a ton of time as a teenager just coming up with fake band names?
1: Well, yeah, but they turned into real bands, so...
0: <laughs> like, I just... I remember spending so much time having fun coming up with combinations of of words, and, uh, and I certainly turned a couple of them into real bands. Yeah. And the funny thing was, when it came to the real bands, I had so many lists of fake band names, and when it came to come up with a real band, could never apply them. Had to come up with something totally different, because it never seemed to work. Mm-hmm. But there is, like... It's, it's this interesting challenge of trying to play with language to the point that it's a game. Like I would just treat it like a game as a teenager and just do it over and over and over and over again. I mean, and to a degree, like you extend enough and it is poetry, but the kind of compact nature of it makes it very fun. It's a really, it's a really difficult challenge. I appreciate your name list. I think it's great. I wish I had my own name list. I definitely encounter things all the time that I think are great names. They never happen to be web products, though.
2: The the reason I do all this compulsive... Yeah, that's true. Like, none of these things really... Like, I guess General Assembly and and Girlfriend are the two that are closest to, like, a technology thing, but I think technology things often have shitty, shitty names because it's so tied up with business. The more business gets involved, the more (laughs) fucked up the names get, right? Like, Well, well, part (laughs) of it is that South Park joke
0: of them stealing the Washington Redskins name because there are no other names to be had, where they're just coming up Mm -hmm. with a series of absurd names. And actually... The startup episode referenced this, but it's a it's a funny episode, whether you want to watch it or not. And it came up because the Washington Redskins have such a racist name that the government has taken away their copyright. Actually, multiple times now. It's happened a couple of times. Um, And so the joke is that so many names are taken. They've typed every combination of dirty and racist words into a domain registrar field and nothing comes up. So they just take a name that can't possibly be copywritten. Which is actually the concept of any like American Airlines. Things that just have like generally descriptive names can't be copyrighted
2: anyway. Or if they're horribly racist. It's funny, when we uh when we named our first company when we were sixteen, which ended up being called Bonzo Studios, when we discovered that name, we thought it was brilliant, the best name we'd ever thought of. Um I don't remember many of the names we had thought of before that. I know one of the other ones we were really in love with was Black Tiger Studios. Um, We were clearly children. It's not good names. But back then, we were doing that exact thing you're describing, Matt. We were sitting in front of a domain registry, and we were, like, typing in the combination of words we thought were cool, like black tiger and, like, bonsai, uh, and kind of just trying to find some combination that would work. And, of course, they were all taken. And this was, I guess, 2005 or six or something this was happening. Um, And I found that as I've gotten older and my tastes have changed and my approach has changed... Uh, I I don't do that anymore. Like, now the availability of a domain name is a really small part of my decision-making process, if any. Uh, And more importantly, more often I think of a name that is totally available, like, immediately, which I think is a good sign because it's like all the things I was thinking of were the same things that all of the jackasses that are parking domains were thinking of, which are inherently probably not the most creative names or, like, sticking together two English words and calling it something. Um, and now, you know, when we think of some, like things like days work, uh, which I'm really proud of that name, um, you know, we, the .dot the doc co is available for that. That was great. Um, you know, I, I feel like as I've progressed more and more domains have been available. Uh, we actually have a whole backlog of domains for things that we've bought with the idea of turning into something, but, but haven't, I think everyone has that though. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I own the domain love and utility, which is what I called my. Uh, My blog for my senior thesis, Uh, actually, I think I recently just lost that one because it expired. I can't remember. Um, But yeah, naming things is tough. uh, Day's work was called puncher for a long time uh, internally before we- Like a
0: punch clock? I mean, like a punch card?
2: Yeah, like inspired by a punch card, um, which uh, Anthony here really hated. I think all of us were kind of just not, didn't hate it, so we were happy to let it go. Uh, but he really hated it, so I worked hard to come up with a different name. And I think we're all much happier with Day's work. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, what the payoff of this conversation is? Um, I think I really like to observe the patterns. The reason I keep lists of all these things is because I want to figure out more about why I like things that I like. I feel like I'm on this constant quest for some objective truth in my tastes, it, it, just personally, objective for me, not even objective for the whole world. Just you know what is consistent in andy's taste and uh i try and find the patterns in here i think the fact that fonts tend to have good names and that things that are closer to like the business world and uh like capitalism tend to have shit names like barometer plus plus for example <laughs> is uh is is telling i think that the closer you get to art and the further you get from business the more kind of interesting a name can be and it doesn't make the name any worse right like I think a lot of type designers. It's a it's a relatively small industry. It's people that are working for themselves. They you know are not business people very often. They're kind of just naming things based on their own personal experience or whatever you know inspiration they have when they were making the the typeface. They don't really feel pressured to give it some highly functional name, which is the antithesis of the fucking app store. Which brings me all the way back to Tall Chess, right? Like I, I have this book. So I should mention. Um, I think one of the best naming resources out there is a book called Don't Call It That. Uh, it's a book by Eli Altman, and he's one of the founders of a Thousand Monkeys, which is another uh, popular naming firm. And he kind of wrote this book, which is uh, part workbook. Where you can kind of fill it out, and it has places for you to like fill in words you're thinking of, and you can kind of work through the book uh, from beginning to end and help you come up with a name. But it's also got a lot of writing in it about you know what's good and bad about names and kind of uh, doing that. So I, I recommend that book. But um, it's tough because I feel like if I were to go through this book and go through this process and try to come up with a really creative name for Tall Chess, right? So we have this. Chess app, which we want to be considered, want people to look at the name and look at the product and think of it as like a real contender for a serious chess app um Any name I come up with is not going to have the word chess in it surely because one of the first rules of making interesting names is you throw out all the obvious stuff, mm-hmm. uh which is the exact opposite of the first rule of naming something for search engine optimization, which is that you crowd it with all the obvious stuff so people that are searching for it find it. One of my biggest problems is trying to reconcile that right like I am like one of the more design-minded people of the company here. I am one that always wants to give it a cool, interesting name, uh, and everyone else is oftentimes like, "Well, that's just simply not going to work. Stop being so impractical and artistic, you jackass!" And let's just call it Brometer Plus Plus, and that works. So, like, how do how do we weigh that? Right? I have a really hard time with it.
0: I mean, I have a hard time with that in any facet of life. Like, it's not like I'm uh, designing a logo and then all of a sudden that goes out the window. That's exactly the same way I feel. Um, but if any, honestly, if anything, naming helps me come back around to that a little bit more because of just the ability for a name to to gain traction when something is good. Um, and, like, you know, it's much easier to kind of see names that are arbitrary and seem to be working better. Um, specifically, I think because it's so much easier to come up with just the obvious stuff when you're going through things that are descriptive or that, like, kind of hint at a, at a tone or even, like, you know if it's something that has a history digging into the history and trying to find something there, um if anything, yeah. it's bringing me back around to being okay with arbitrary, but i yeah, I don't know how to justify it. I really don't know how to justify it other than there are things that are great that happen to be arbitrary out in the world, and there's something that we there are things that we can hang our hat on,
2: yeah, exactly, like and that's what it comes down to like at the end of the day, they have a whole bunch of very good, very logical arguments for why we should call it like chess pro or like. Chess the app or something. Chess plus plus. Uh, and my only argument, <laughs> chess plus plus, my only argument is that that sounds stupid to me and I want to be able to point to it and have it sound cool and be proud of it, right? And like yeah. that's not an argument for with any logic really behind it. Um but then in some ways it is, right? Like that's part of as much as we try to avoid talking about design as this kind of like shallow facade where you like put a put a put the makeup on something. Um, Part of what I think design does is it changes your perceptions about something and you approach it differently if you think it's going to be cool than if you approach it thinking it's going to be some lame money grab app. Uh, So I, I struggle with that particularly. I think it's a thousand monkeys. I'm going to say it's a thousand monkeys. I just googled it by the way and Eli Altman's naming company is called 100 monkeys, not a thousand monkeys. I'm going to go out there and say it's not the best name because I couldn't remember it because it's got a random arbitrary number of monkeys in it, right? That's true. But I'm assuming
0: it's based on the idea that you put enough monkeys behind a keyboard
2: and they come up yeah. with Shakespeare. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but I thought that was a 1,000 monkeys. Not I don't know. What, what no, was the no, idiot. No. But
1: there is another copywriting firm in Britain called a 1,000 Monkeys. Oh, wait. Hold on. This is great. So the uh, I Googled just the term. Infinite monkey infinite monkey
2: i just i just googled thousand monkeys and the thing that came up was the infinite monkey theorem on wiki wiki web wikipedia wow that was a slip um (laughs) (laughs) the infinite monkey theorem came up on wikipedia uh which is so apparently it's infinity monkeys i don't know why he decided 100 was all right well it should be an infinity monkeys well shouldn't infinity monkeys write infinity literature not just i guess they're saying that they will eventually write the complete works yeah. of Shakespeare in addition to every other complete works of every other author, but yeah. it's more interesting to mention Shakespeare's
0: favorite, One of my favorite college projects was m- writing a little program that generates infinite monkeys, and you type in a word, and then you hit go <laughs> Wait. until it gets to that word. Oh, what? So you're I a program in that,
2: that genetically engineers and produces thousands and thousands and thousands of monkeys in corporeal form what? until they come up with a word? What did you do with those hypothetically, monkeys? Hypothetically.
0: Hypothetically.
2: You, you mad just scientist, scientists. You,
0: <laughs> you type in the word you want. You hit select, then you hit generate, and just the program just keeps running, typing random words. Let's just pretend behind the scenes it's typing random words yeah. until it comes up with it and says, "Hey, we found it in
2: this random string of uh, letters." There are thousands of dead monkeys in the basement, and the police have some questions, Matt.
0: It still works. They're not in dead. The carpeted the an- basement. The animal it police keeps going. It keeps going. The Peter awful police has some questions for
2: you. Basement.
0: I'm pretty sure this episode is going to be
1: called The Infinite Monkey Hero. Okay, so a little bit of background. Um, I had the awesome pleasure to be able to work with a phenomenal technical writer when I was at eye contact. Um, So I got to learn a lot of things I normally had not known about just going to design school. So he was uh, teaching me a lot of things about voice and tone. A lot of these structural things that you can do with the voice of your application or your product, so um, it, it sounds consistent. It's it's a lot of these details that are done through language that I just never considered, mostly because I I've never been really great at copywriting. Um, so I learned a lot from him. But after leaving eye contact, it was that that was this big void for me because I I just needed a little bit of guidance or a little bit of help, just reminding myself of things from time to time. And oddly enough, about that same time, this site came out, and it's a little bit janky now. I checked earlier today. Uh, It's literally called voiceintone.com. Some of the folks at MailChimp ended up putting it together. And the reason why I enjoy this so much is because it's just a really, really helpful guide um, to be able to tell you, like, okay, if you want to be able to have this sort of reaction from a user or, like, if this is your end goal, then you need to be able to... here are some of the language this way. Here's some tips. Um, here's different tones. Here's just some reminders of, um, you know, things that you need to consider when you're writing copy. And overall, like, here's some other tips to make sure that this feels like a cohesive thing. So it's just like a, it's a useful little tool for me. Uh, I've been using it here and there. But the site is a little bit janky right now, which is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, that's it. Voiceintone.com.
2: That's a good happy ending. I, I don't know if uh if she was involved with this, but but Katie Kiefer Lee is one of the people that's in charge of writing now at MailChimp. And uh she and a friend of mine, Nicole, have a book out called Nicely Said, which I will uh tack on to the end of your happy
1: ending if you'll allow me, Dan.
2: Uh which wait, is right in the Wait, same wait, vein. did you
1: just hijack my happy ending? <laughs>
2: I didn't hijack it. You did the thing. I'm just saying also there's a book that's kind of very similar yeah. by maybe similar people. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want the people to know. It's your happy ending. We're happy that you did the happy ending. I'm sorry. It's fine. I still you have know, my search. I, you know it's hard no. for me not to know No, not I know. I
0: know. That's why I started my <laughs> search. We're fine. Dan, Andy wasn't talking for all of one minute. You gotta...
2: I... <laughs> <laughs> I had an idea in
0: my head and the world
2: had to know about it because it was the thing that popped into my head. That's how that works, right? Thank God you got a podcast, Andy. What, what uh, would you be Jesus. doing otherwise? Would you I just would, be oh, talking to the have My girlfriend would have dumped me by now because I would have <laughs> talked to her probably if I didn't have a podcast.
0: This has been On The Grid, episode 87. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co. You can also find us online at our new home at 5by5.tv on the grid. If you want to submit a link for us to talk about, check out our subreddit, onthegrid.reddit.com. If you want to tweet to us, use hashtag on the grid, or you can find our individual accounts at Madam C, at Andy Mangold, and at Dan Auer. Thanks to Blank and Kit for the intro Music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and you for listening. Until next week.
2: Also, it's it's funny because we're kind of like monkeys, right? Like, if we record Infinity Podcasts and we're dumb as monkeys, eventually we'll record a bunch of smart stuff, right? I mean, it took us
0: 86 to record anything that was, that was thoughtful and reasonable, so... I don't know if that's true. I'm just playing around. You know, I'm just being negative.
2: Okay. Not much of a podcast for not much of a podcaster. Yeah. Do you guys have uh, have files somewhere of eventual
1: names for your potential children eventually? Seeing as I'm having zero children, no. Oh, that what's what's put? Oh no no no! no. There's there's two names for our hypothetical non children okay. that we're never gonna have. Um, Chocodile and Surge. No. Uh, one of them is uh, Happy. <laughs> so name is Happy Hour. <laughs> All right, uh, Kanye. <laughs> Yeah, and then the second kid would be named Amateur. Like All right, Dan.
2: Really? Same trick on both ones? You couldn't, couldn't pull you couldn't something else it out of
1: there? You gotta have a theme. I like Chocodile and Surge, okay. personally. So, those would be the middle names. How about that? Hey, Chocodile! Get your brother Surge in from the from the yard! It's dinner time!